Hello to you. Welcome to the weekend edition of Coin Market Recap with Connor and Molly Jane. How are you, Molly Jane? I'm great. I'm in a closet again, but a bigger <laughs> one than last time. So, oh, nice how are upgrade. You? I'm, I'm all right, thank you. I'm I'm not in a closet. Uh, I'm in my bedroom. I'm lying on the bed talking to you right now. <laughs> that's that's just the wrong image. You're lying. That's so bad for your <laughs> for your sound. Your lungs, you need to sit up straight. <laughs> okay, well, I'll try and do that. Um, lots to talk about this week. <laughs> talk about Bitcoin and the pound. So many stories. Um, so many stories. I've got real views about this one, so do bear with me on that. They may not be fashionable views either. We'll talk about the general gyrations in the market as well. Celsius's CEO, Alex Mashinsky's resigned. He's not the only one. Do Kwon seems to be making matters worse for himself. We'll find out why. Vitalik Buterin wants other cryptocurrencies to move to proof of stake. We'll talk about which ones and actually whether that's a good idea, a bad idea. We'll find out what Molly thinks about that. FTX has officially acquired Voyager's assets and Celsius could be next. Plus, the thing that always guarantees a response on Twitter, a report about Bitcoin's energy use. According to one report from the Cambridge Centre for Alternative Finance, Bitcoin isn't as green as miners would like to think. Give our show a follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. And we're on Twitter as well, at Molly J. Zuckerman and at Connor Sefton. This week's crypto headlines. So, kicking off with the pound. Now, if you're not based in the UK, this is type, the type of story that probably will just pass you by because obviously it doesn't affect you, you're not in the UK. But the pound hit a record low against the US dollar this week to $1.03. Now I remember Molly Jane back in 2008, I was a teenager, one pound was worth $2. This is a huge deal. And it all relates to the government's mini budget. We've got a new prime minister. She's been in office for three weeks after replacing Boris Johnson. She announced that she wanted to cut taxes for the highest earners from 45% to 40%, giving them tens of thousands of pounds in some cases, cut taxes for other people as well, cut property taxes, scrap bankers' bonuses. And this sent the markets into panic because they're thinking, okay, the Bank of England's dealing with inflation, interest rates are going up, and this government wants to borrow loads and loads of money. Bitcoiners have been rather gleeful about this, <laughs> dancing on the pound's grave to an extent. They argue that the pound's been trading like a shit coin. They argue that this proves Bitcoin's a better alternative. Have you seen any of this on crypto Twitter or elsewhere this week. What, what's been your perspective on this? Well, I've seen your musings about it in the newsletter. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, you're pretty, um, pretty teed off, I would say, about these comparisons. Yeah, I mean, I'll walk you through my views and Please. not everyone's going to agree with me. And I think that's fine. One of them is that the British pound's now more volatile than Bitcoin. It isn't, right? Um, when the time I wrote this musing, the pound had lost 21% of its value against the dollar over a, over a year. Bitcoin had lost 51% of its value. And 
even though the pound had a pretty terrible week this week, even on a bad day, its movements are far, far less severe than Bitcoin's are. One tweet, which really annoyed me, said that the Bank of England spent the last year criticising Bitcoin and El Salvador. I recommend that the Bank of England focus on their own problems at home. Nearly a year later, UK bond prices collapse as the pound crashes to all-time lows. Do we really, really think that the pound crashed because the Bank of England was too focused on El Salvador? No. No. <laughs> no. Um, and to be honest... A lot of the problems facing the pound right now have got nothing to do with the Bank of England anyway. A lot of the problems um, relate to how strong the dollar is. And that's a problem that Bitcoin has as well. Yeah, I just think that whenever something happens in the financial world, anything in the financial world, people find a way to tie it back to why Bitcoin is better. And this time it's a bit of a stretch, I would say. It's a bit of a stretch. But... I want to go down the rabbit hole on that with you because let's let's assume that Bitcoin is going to be the next world reserve currency, that it will replace the dollar and the pound, like some people say. Let's focus on the pound for now. I don't think the dollar's going anywhere. But let's imagine that Bitcoin did replace the British pound. It's not ready. Bitcoin isn't ready for this. The public... It's too early. <laughs> ...isn't ready for this. Oh, my God. I can't believe you... <laughs> well, that's what you're saying. Hates me. Well, no, but I'm not talking about it from a price perspective. I'm talking about it from the perspective of this, right? If the pound fared even worse than it has this week, my argument is that 95% of the British public would still keep with the pound and they wouldn't switch to Bitcoin. There's multiple reasons for this. Firstly, Bitcoin is still too technical to use. It's still impractical to use for everyday purchases. And I don't know, the the brand, the Bitcoin brand, the way it presents itself, the way that the most prominent Bitcoiners in the space present Bitcoin, for me, is thoroughly off-putting. And I think for many British people, it's thoroughly off-putting. You spoke about this before when we were at the Bitcoin conference in Miami, the fact that everyone uses the phrase orange pilling. Yes. um, People are are turned off by the sort of cult-like slang, you know, jargon. Yeah. But, you know, it's... The things are bad in the UK right now, and I know that this country isn't alone in this. You know, we've got a cost of living crisis, mortgage payments going through the roof, heating bills are going through the roof, the cost of food is going through the roof. People's money is a really, really important, serious topic right now. And I just, Bitcoiners take Bitcoin seriously, but they don't necessarily take themselves seriously and they don't necessarily take financial loss seriously, if that makes sense. I just don't think that the the general mentality of Bitcoiners, despite the fact that they want Bitcoin to replace fiat one day, their mentality doesn't align with what everyday consumers 
are thinking about and what are worried about. Does that make sense? It does. I, I've never heard anyone put it so well as that Bitcoins don't take, do not take financial loss seriously. I think that is, can be applied to a lot of people in crypto. Yeah. But one more point on this. Obviously, for Bitcoiners, and this is a point I do appreciate, I really do appreciate this, they really value the idea of being in control of your own destiny, having control of your keys. That way, no one can take your money away from you. I get that. I get the arguments as well against if you're buying Bitcoin, don't hold on a centralized exchange. All of that makes sense to me. But if we were to apply this to everyday use, Bitcoin replacing the pound, that concept is incredibly intimidating to many people. For many people, it's kind of like if, you, if you're sick, you go to a doctor. If your car's broken, you go to a mechanic. If you've got money to save, you put it with a bank. Many people don't want the response, not the responsibility, but the, the daunting prospect of being in control of their own money in case something goes wrong. They want to trust professionals who will do that for them. And I know that banks get things wrong. I know that, I know that there have been scandals with banks. But for many people, keeping cash under the mattress or keeping cash in a wallet, and if you lose the pin to that wallet, the money's gone forever, is a thoroughly unappealing prospect. Well, it sounds like you've just invented the idea of centralized cryptocurrency exchanges. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What do you think? Am I being too harsh on Bitcoin here? Do you think that it's the case that Bitcoin in five, ten years, might this might be a more appealing prospect? Do you think that it might be the case that Bitcoin never replaces a fiat currency? Like, wh wh Where's your head at on this? Well, I will say that in El Salvador, where Bitcoin has become legal tender, the message is not for people to hold their own coins. They're still directing people towards the Chivas wallet, which I believe is a centralized wallet, right? It's not DeFi. Mm -hmm. They're not trying to get people mem to memorize their seed addresses. So I do think that even though Bitcoiners' underlying mentality of the not your keys, not your coins um, holds true for sort of the OG hardcore Bitcoiners, I do think that they would not want to stop adoption if it required you to give up your keys. However, I don't see Bitcoin replacing the pound in the next 50 years. Okay, okay. Because that's, that's another source of tension, isn't it? Because bearing in mind, there are millions of people in the UK who own or have owned Bitcoin there were figures last year that suggested 2.3 million Britons owned crypto. That was before the bull market really hit a peak. And I think that many people in the UK and in the US and in other countries regard Bitcoin as an investment. They don't regard it as a currency that they would use day to day. But that's a bit of a source of tension I see in the world of Bitcoin and with Bitcoiners, because there are many people, Jack Mallers of Strike, who are advocating and pushing for Bitcoin to be used as a payment method when you're buying a coffee, when you're buying a pair of sneakers, whatever it is. 
So do you think that more Bitcoiners are aligned with Bitcoin as an investment? Or do you think that more of them are aligned with Bitcoin as a medium of exchange? Investment. Yeah. But there's also that school of thought, isn't there? That Bitcoin will be volatile, upwards volatile for like the next 10, 15 years. And then it will start getting less erratic, but at a much, much, much higher level. There are so many trains of thought here. Mm. And really, all I'm hearing at the end of this is you're just telling everyone that we're just still too early. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I mean, I think we both of us agree on is I think that, I don't know, I just feel that we we probably apply slightly more cynicism (laughs) to Bitcoin generally. That's fair. That's very fair. than, Than others may do. Because I'm just... It's all fine and good going on Twitter and saying the pound's a shit coin, Bitcoin can fix this. But when you look at the reality, and some of these people, I can confidently say, have never visited the UK, it just doesn't really work. And ladies and gentlemen, I did tweet this. (laughs) I did buy a pint of beer with my pounds the other day. It went fine. It was fine. (laughs) It can be done. I mean, you're really showing the Twitter hysterics, you know, (laughs) the reality. You're holding a mirror up to them and you're saying, take a look at this. And my my cash use in uh, the pubs of London. (laughs) But let's talk more widely about Bitcoin's movements this week. One thing I will say over the past seven days, is that Bitcoin was starting to see a divorce from its correlation with the stock market. The stock market, some days this week, has fallen by 2-3%, the S&P 500, the NASDAQ especially, and Bitcoin's managed to stay flat. And there are some analysts who say the reason this is is because we've seen the tourists exit the market and now you've got the few core Bitcoin believers who are left, the people with diamond hands, the people who were here four years ago, the people who are going to be here four years from now, who won't sell whatever happens. But there was an interesting couple of panels this week, different different kind of sentiments, but Overall, on the same topic, ultimately, that the bear market's a good thing. Um, There was a Bloomberg Technology Summit in London this week, and the panellists there had argued that it's weeded out the tourists, like I said. And it's good news for crypto entrepreneurs who want to build something more sustainable rather than speculate around it. And Revolut, Edward Cooper from Revolut, said that the bear market's eliminated crypto companies that had a viable business model tide goes out and then the businesses with good business models survive. He points out that signups to Revolut now still are far higher than before the bull run began. So things have gone down but remain at a higher level, ultimately, is the argument, isn't it? Yeah, I also think you said that um, that comparison wrong. It's the tide has gone out and now you see who's swimming naked, which I mentioned on the last <laughs> podcast. And you ah. said that I was mixing my metaphors, but you, you just mixed your metaphor. I was quoting someone. I think you'll Well, find. he mixed his metaphor. 
<laughs> I never, I never mix my metaphors. <laughs> I'm on it. I'm on it like a dash hunt. Right. Um, so... Like a like a what? <laughs> I was I was joking. I was mixing my metaphors because the, the a dog said it. How do you pronounce that? Are we going to have another British versus American fight about this? I thought it was Dachshund. It's Dachshund. It's not. It is. It's so not. No, it definitely is. No, it definitely isn't. Hang on. I was wrong last time, to be fair. I forget what I was wrong about. Oh, uh, Worcestershire sauce. (laughs) Worcestershire. Worcestershire. Okay, well, I was wrong. I admit I was wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure it's Dachshund. We're talking about the wiener dogs, right? That's what I'm talking about. The sausage dogs, yeah. The sausage dogs, okay. Yeah, okay, right. So, what did you say? Well, for some reason, now you're making me doubt myself. Dachshund. Dachshund. I say, I said Dachshund. And uh-huh. Google says... Oh. Dachshund. That sounds more like yours. Yeah. Dachshund. Dachshund. <laughs> Okay. Well, clearly I don't know my dogs and I've just made an idiot of myself in front of all <laughs> Well, I I did describe to Dog Fancy magazine for many years. And <laughs> I remember once being very, very new at Sky News and going into a meeting and uh pitching and saying there's a really interesting story in Arkansas. <laughs> <laughs> So I have form with this. And when I was 14 years old, we were doing a class on modal verbs. Modal verbs being the verbs you see in instructions. Cut this, eat that, boil this. And I was asked to read out a recipe which featured modal verbs. And I began by saying, how to make a meringue (laughs) instead of a meringue. So there you go. <laughs> we've um, we've gotten well off track. So let's get we back have. on it. Okay. We talk now about Alex Mashinsky, mm-hmm. um, who has resigned as the CEO of Celsius Network. The writing was on the wall with this one, wasn't it, Molly Jane? This was a matter of time. It was. You know, what happened is he released a letter stating his resignation, but it turned out that a group of Celsius creditors had really been pushing for this because Mashinsky was doing things like in response to reports hours before Celsius declared they had no liquidity, responding to people on Twitter, tweeting Mm. out these very true reports saying, FUD, (laughs) you're wrong. We have all the money in the world. Um, I could imagine if I was a creditor of Celsius, I would not want him to be in charge of the bankruptcy proceedings. Yeah. Well, in his resignation letter, he expressed regret that his role as CEO has become an increasing distraction and he apologised for the difficult financial circumstances members of our community are facing. And let's not forget the scale of this. Celsius has a $1.2 billion black hole in its finances. 300,000 customers, 300,000 have a balance of more than $100. This is a lot of people. How many customers do you think have a balance of more than $5,000? Well, yeah, thousands. Yeah. 
I just, I wonder, I guess it doesn't really matter if you're owed money, you're owed money. But no, in Celsius has definitely been having issues handling the bankruptcy. You know, they wanted to retain this advisor for $92,000 a month, a month. <laughs> yeah, that was, well, that was the former chief financial officer who quit. And then they wanted to bring him back and $92,000 a month. And at the same time, he was still being paid severance as well, which is just extraordinary. But that's been a recurring theme that we've seen with many of these bankruptcies because Voyager actually did get approval to give key staff bonuses um, in total of about $1.6 million, if I'm not mistaken, which just seems a bit crass when you've got so many people who are frozen out of their accounts altogether. No, I do not think anyone in crypto is handling the bankruptcy with grace, especially not Do Kwan, but we'll get to that uh, in a bit. <laughs> we will get to that in a minute. So goodbye, Alex Mashinsky. Um, for what it's worth, the committee of unsecured creditors, Celsius customers effectively, do seem to be rallying behind the new CEO, that's a gentleman called Chris Ferrero. He is now Chief Restructuring Officer and Interim CEO, and he's got quite a lot of experience in corporate finance. He used to be at J.P. Morgan Chase. I still am of the opinion that if and when Celsius gets through this, they're not going to have a business left, are they? No, I, um, I can't imagine that people would forget and reinvest their money in Celsius. But, yeah. you know, people do have pretty short attention, you know, memory in, in crypto sometimes. You touched on this in um, a comment piece for our newsletter this week, Molly Jane, about the fact that we're seeing lots of crypto CEOs take a step back. I mean, obviously, different circumstances. We can't compare Alex Mashinsky's departure to Michael Saylor's departure. But there's a trend nonetheless. What's going on? One of my theories is that it is a bear market. And some of these CEOs that have been around for a very, very long time and are Bitcoin believers, they might be stepping down from sort of day to day running a business so they can do more to build their Bitcoin dreams in a more free environment. You know, Michael Saylor is still an advisor uh, executive chairman, I believe. Jesse Powell stepped down from Kraken after, I believe, 11 years. But mm -hmm. he said, I'm only going to work 40-hour work weeks now instead of 80. Um, on the other hand, I don't know. It's like... Uh, who are these new CEOs that are going to be they're going to be taking over because these people were powerhouses in their own verticals and you know crypto hasn't been around long enough for there to be people of similar experience and expertise in crypto to take on these roles so i think that i don't know i expect to see more ceo resignations coming for mm. a variety of reasons um, but I think what's going to be important to look at is the the really wealthy ones, you know, the ones that were the early Bitcoin people, what are they doing now? And then the second one is, who are all of these new CEOs and what are their visions? So first off, when you say a variety of reasons, what are some of these reasons? I think there will be more bankruptcies. Mm -hmm. And I think there will be more people moving... <sighs> 
moving to sort of sounds silly, but sort of like chase their dream in a sense. Mm-hmm. You know, people that are that are really big believers in crypto love to talk about building during a bear market. And I do think that this is sort of you know, it gives people a um a chance to look around because they're not sprinting towards towards anything like you are when Bitcoin is, you know, shooting up to 70,000. And I think it just, it it leads to a lot of turnover. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple of points I'd make here. Firstly, working in crypto is relentless <laughs> and burnout's an issue. And I think that, gen- I mean, obviously it's still, we've, Bitcoin's only existed for 13 years, right? But I think that generally speaking, careers in crypto are going to be shorter than average because it's kind of like a bright flash of light, right? <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah. on your point, you you position all of these departures as a bad thing. It doesn't necessarily have to be that way. I think that it's worth noting that Jesse Powell was arguing that he was intending to step down before the bear market came. So this wasn't in response to the market crash we've seen over the past six, nine months. But where are these people going? Michael Saylor, who's from MicroStrategy, which isn't actually a crypto company. It's a business intelligence company that happens to have a lot of Bitcoin. He's now focusing more on MicroStrategy's Bitcoin investment and on Bitcoin advocacy more widely. Jesse Powell is going to be the president of Kraken. So he's still going to be involved with Kraken. He's still going to have that institutional memory. He's still going to be involved in the company's product. But he's also going to be focusing on industry advocacy more widely. So these aren't people who are stepping away from crypto altogether. They're now focusing on the bigger picture stuff. And like Jesse Powell said, there were a lot of things as a CEO that he didn't enjoy doing, a lot of box ticking, a lot of bureaucracy. So surely this is a better outlet for his energy, a better use of his time. And ultimately, these departures are a good thing for crypto because these people are now going to be interacting with policymakers, with regulators, and ensuring that Bitcoin can grow in a more sensible way. It isn't necessarily a bad thing. I I didn't say it was a bad thing. I just think it's it's interesting. It's all happening right now. And let's sort Mm. of put a pin in this and take a look back and see if it is a sort of premonition of of things to come or not. Yeah. Or yes. (laughs) I doubt doubt Alex Mashinsky is going to be involved in industry advocacy. (laughs) Just saying. I mean, honestly, the amount of people that have, you know, had jail sentences in their past and then come back as anonymous DeFi developers. Mm. We don't Uh, know. Yeah, not know. suggesting, by the way, that Alex Mashinsky is going to get a jail sentence. No, of course not. No, no, I did not. I did not. Um, <laughs> bit of a segue now, uh, Do Kwon. <laughs> um, so, uh, Do Kwon, who is actually now the subject of an Interpol red notice, he's not really. Um, what's the word? He's not handling this well i don't think so interpol have now issued a red notice his response to this is to say that he's making zero effort to hide he's going on walks he's going to shopping malls and 
crypto Twitter people have probably bumped into him over the past few weeks, but he still isn't disclosing where in the world he currently is. He just seems to be taking a really weird stance towards all of this. You know, on one hand, he has been saying, I am cooperating with authorities. But on the other hand, does cooperating with authorities just mean like walking down streets that have security cameras and being like, come find me anywhere in the world? You know, it's very, um, I feel like cooperating with authorities means I am responding legally to my arrest warrant you know, formally and not just tweeting, like, I'm coding in my living room. Like, I just had lunch in a public park. Like, what? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, what is unusual, I guess, is that when I think of an Interpol red notice, I think of, like, the normally these dramatic posters, the red, they've got wanted on them. Um, I'm thinking of the one that... um, Crypto Queen. The Crypto Queen, exactly. And we did see that. But... Do Kwon seemed to suggest that, in his eyes, he wasn't subject to an Interpol Red Notice because he hadn't seen his name on their website. But in some cases, Interpol doesn't actually release the names of every single person who's subject to a Red Notice on its website. So I just, I wrote about this in Amusing a while ago, but it's like, has he heard of like a crisis PR agency? Does he have a lawyer? Like, I just Mm. feel like there are so many things that this person should be doing. And they seem like they're doing the the opposite of them. Yeah, and we, we saw this when there were reports in multiple crypto news outlets this week that Do Kwon had attempted to cash out $67 million of Bitcoin a day after an arrest warrant was issued against him in South Korea. This was earlier this month. He's denied that a cash out had occurred and he lashed out at the misinformation that's spreading online did you see <laughs> so i saw this tweet about him yesterday and the way he's behaving online i thought that it was true but 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 it's not it was <laughs> it was someone who lives in singapore said had lunch with, it was something like had lunch with doquan yesterday in a public place Super nice guy, like really interesting perspective on the whole thing. Um, made some good points about Luna. And then <laughs> when it was time to pay the bill, we decided <laughs> to have a thumb war over who would pay. And he lost. And then he just ran away from me. So this is where we had lunch. If you can find him and track him down. And I read this and I was like, is this satire or is this real? I really can't tell. It has to be satire. <laughs> Apparently this happened in Singapore, right? I know, and he's not in Singapore, yeah. but just how it was written, it was like, I mean, I could imagine that happening, him losing a thumb war and just running away and, and not paying his half of the bill. I mean, <laughs> To be honest, I mean, that would be the least of his legal problems right now. So <laughs> I know, and I just, I just think that, um, you know, I mean, it's a bad week for quote-unquote celebrity news in general. There's the Adam Levine stuff. There's the Try Guys. And Do Kwan's out here just behaving just as sort of poorly as everyone else with his online tweeting stuff. I realized now it sounds like I'm comparing him to two cheating husbands, and I'm also not. <laughs> it's just more, um, <laughs> people need to be better at, be- at being online when they're famous. That's my the long shot of it. People that are famous <laughs> need to be better at Twitter. So FTX, 
won a highly competitive auction for Voyager Digital's assets this week. The crypto exchange bid $1.4 billion for the bankrupt lender's assets. Um, but this doesn't include Voyager's battle to get $650 million back from Three Arrows Capital, the hedge fund that collapsed after defaulting on a loan. So apparently this bid is going to be good news for Voyager customers because it could speed up the process of them getting withdrawals back and getting access to their accounts. Quite a reversal of fortunes because FTX had made a bid for Voyager back then and the offer was dismissed as a lowball bid dressed up as a white knight rescue. So clearly they we, delved into their pockets a bit more. Do we know how much that offer was? I don't remember that number being publicised. I don't remember that number being publicised either, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Sam Bankman-Fried was furious at the time because he argued that a takeover was definitely in the best interest of customers because it meant that they would get their money back far more quickly. And instead of going through the bankruptcy court where it could be years and they get back pennies on the dollar because bankruptcy lawyers would drain all the funds in the meantime. So interesting to see that FTX got their own way in the end. And now there's reports as well that they're also um, interested in Celsius Networks assets as well. Yes, uh, they are. But it's unclear what exactly that means. Are they trying to Mm. take responsibility for the $1.2 billion hole? Mm. You know? Yeah, because Celsius has a mining operation as well as a custody business. So this could mean different things. But apparently FTX at the moment are in the process of raising another billion dollars. FTX really is sweeping up a lot of companies in this bear market, aren't they? Yeah, they are. They're really out there to acquire things. Not Twitter, but uh, (laughs) not Twitter. So, interesting story this one. Because, of course, Ethereum has now moved to proof of stake. All went okay. But... Vitalik Buterin this week said that he wants other cryptocurrencies to move to proof of stake. He named two in particular, Dogecoin and Zcash. Are we going to see more cryptocurrencies move to proof of stake and should they? More merges? Mm. That merge took a lot out of me. (laughs) It took ages. Yeah. Took years. Took many podcasts, newsletters, articles. I don't know. I don't think I can handle it. So maybe they should just wait until I've recovered from the last one and then we can (laughs) discuss it again. Yeah. But it was interesting because the founder of Zcash, Zuko Wilcox, was actually on stage when this suggestion was being made. And it made me laugh because he, when he first learned about the plans for the merge, Vitalik Buterin had emailed him. And Zuko said that, you emailed me your plan for Ethereum. And I was like, holy shit, this is so exciting and it will never work. And then you and Ethereum proved me wrong. It totally worked. So apparently Zcash, which if you're unfamiliar, is a privacy coin. They make sure if it's done right that you're the sender and recipient of a transaction are kept anonymous as well as the value of a transaction. So he's suggesting that Zcash might move over to proof of stake at some point in the future, but they're going to hold back because they want to learn lessons from Ethereum and see what goes well, what goes wrong as well. I'm glad it did work, though. 
We learned about yeah. all the different ways it could not work. And I'm glad that none of those happened. Is Ethereum out of danger though yet? Couldn't things go wrong in the months and years ahead? Of course. But there also could mm. be like a nuclear holocaust soon, so <laughs> <laughs> cheery. You 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 criticize me for taking this podcast to dark places. I Who criticize you, you for talking about dead hamsters every time I bring up alive My hamsters. hamster died. What do you want from me? Well, then you were it's talking about like the, the COVID hamster thing. And then you just really... Oh, that was dark. That was really yeah. dark. Mm-hmm. All those hamsters. Um, but off the two, Dogecoin might actually be the more likely coin to go to proof of stake because Vitalik has actually been involved with the Dogecoin Foundation. He's been working with them. And back in December last year, they were crafting a uniquely Doge proposal for a community community staking version of POS that would allow everyone, not just the big players, to participate in a way that rewards them for their contribution to running the network. So I would say that Dogecoin is probably the more likely when compared with Zcash of going to proof of stake. I mean, Buterin did admit that not all cryptocurrencies will actually make the switch, they'll stay on proof of work. He just hopes that some of them will adopt a hybrid model, which means that they're a bit more environmentally friendly. But what did make me laugh, Motley Jane, is Masari's co-founder, Ryan Selkis, because they were speaking at Masari's mainnet conference, he um, he said that he liked to see Dark Vitalik <laughs> <laughs> because he was noticing that Vitalik has got a bit more of a swagger now that the merge has been successful. Mm. He kind of always had a swagger, though. Mm, yeah, but it's been more emboldened now. The merge has gone okay. Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay, lastly, lastly this week, Bitcoin mining. So there's a Bitcoin mining council, and it's made up of some of the world's biggest Bitcoin miners. And every quarter, they release a report into how green Bitcoin mining is. The most recent report was in July 2022. That claimed 59.5% of the electricity used by miners comes from sustainable sources, and that this is a year-on-year improvement. But the Cambridge Centre for Alternative Finance has said, actually, things might not be as good as they seem, because they believe that 37.6% of the energy used by the Bitcoin blockchain actually comes from sustainable sources. Who's right? What if we just flipped a coin? <laughs> <laughs> we could do that. I mean, it's there's a lot of he said, there's a lot of he said, she said with this. She said, she said, yeah. Mm-hmm. She sells seashells <laughs> on the seashore. The shells Sally she sells, sells are seashells, I'm sure. Oh, that's different than the American one. What's your one? Sally sells seashells by the seashore. So I guess it's almost the same. But and mine was our... longer, and I didn't trip once. I didn't trip once either. Yeah, because yours was shorter. Yeah, but... <laughs> <laughs> Easy to trip up when it's shorter. Okay, do the Peter Piper one. I don't know that one. Peter Piper picked a pack of pickled peppers. How many peppers did Peter Piper pick? If a gun boil could boil oil, how much oil would a gun boil boil if a gun boil could boil oil? You know, to our listeners here, I did send Connor a TikTok before this of a girl that won an international pun competition. 
She's a pornographer. And, <laughs> and I just don't know why you didn't also submit yourself. I'm going to look into pun-offs in London. Oh, my goodness. So, back, back to Bitcoin mining and energy use. I, I, I thought that, and it's worth a read, by the way, this is a report from the Cambridge Centre for Alternative Finance. They were quite even-handed because while they were attacking the Bitcoin mining sector for marking their own homework and exaggerating their clean energy use... They were also attacking those on the other side who say that Bitcoin uses as much energy as major economies. Because based on their estimates, Bitcoin's responsible for 0.1% of global greenhouse gas emissions. That's more comparable to the likes of Nepal, Nepal. and the Central African Republic rather than, you know, a major economy. So... One of the men who leads the Cambridge Bitcoin Electricity Consumption Index said that for some, Bitcoin's a calamity that's going to undo decades of environmental progress. Some actually say Bitcoin combats climate change. Observing the arguments of both sides, some claims seem rather far-fetched and based on oversimplifications, while others are based on scant information. So effectively, he's saying that both sides are misinformed. I think both sides are misinformed. Remember, Elon Musk said that Tesla would start accepting Bitcoin again once they were able to prove that Bitcoin was using more renewable energy than not. And it, it's just it, it's weird how it seems to be unknowable. I guess all we can keep doing is have these research projects and think tanks and centers come up with more and more and more data. But mm. like you said, oftentimes it is a case of people checking their own homework. And so it's hard to get a, a straight answer. Yeah. And it does vary from country to country because if you look at Sweden, the share of sustainable energy sources is 98%. But Kazakhstan, which is heavily reliant on fossil fuels, that falls to 11%. So it does vary from country to country. And China, which is now obviously embarked on a mining clampdown, they were big users of hydropower, especially during the rainy season. So you'd think with all of those numbers out there, we could come up with, with, with more accurate information. But for some reason, it just seems like an unknowable <laughs> unknowable sphere. Well, a lot of miners are still underground, aren't they? So it's difficult to know. That's true. But, you know, you can't really mine in like a tiny little basement anymore. You do need a, f a yeah. fair amount of space. You're, yeah, you you'd do. be visible on Google Maps, probably. <laughs> well... That is it for this week's Coin Market Recap podcast. Molly Jane, hasn't it been great? Yeah, I'm realizing that I think I've been asphyxiating myself in this closet because there's no <laughs> airflow because I just opened <laughs> I opened the door and I feel a lot better now. So, um, very pleased to hear that. Thank well, you. please do Give us a review if you've enjoyed listening to this episode. And of course, plenty more news and features on our website, coinmarketcap.com forward slash Alexandria. Um, I'm back on Monday. We will be back next week. Have a great weekend, everyone. See you soon. Bye-bye for now. Goodbye. You always say goodbye so weird. Because well, you said it weird first, so I'm just copying you. I don't say goodbye weird. Yeah, you always do. Right, you say goodbye first then, in a normal way. No, you say goodbye first.
You say goodbye first in a normal way. Go on. If you're so good at it, you do it. Okay. When I say goodbye, I say like, okay, bye. <laughs> on a podcast. All well, right. Bye. S- <laughs> well, I didn't. You See didn't specify. <laughs> We're specify doing a podcast. <laughs> I don't need to specify. We're literally doing a podcast right now. I'm saying you say goodbye strangely in every circumstance. Really? <laughs> that was my point. In every this time never... you say goodbye, it's always wrong. <laughs> it's always well, different. Well, show, show me the way, Molly J. Show me the I way. I just did, and you, then you made fun of it. So we clearly have just like, different no, no, opinions. No. Say, say, see you next week, and then sign off. Go on. Podcast style. Yes. Okay. Thanks, everyone, for coming. We'll see you next week. Bye. That wasn't stilted at all, was it? You say your goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) You just went. You just went. Thank you for coming, everybody. (laughs) Bye. Well, you say your goodbye. Why won't you say the word? (laughs) This has been the Coin Market Recap Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye. You just, <laughs> that sounds like you're at a funeral. No, the, <laughs> you sound like you're in a hostage situation. You sound like, like one of the actors yet. on Suits. See you in court. I thought you said soups. <laughs> it's like the Great British Bake Off, but it's just with soup. Right. <laughs> we better let, we, we better let our <laughs> listeners go now thanks for listening everyone see you next monday bye bye